Hello chaps and chappets, welcome to the first edition of the Josh Castle podcast made for musicians, by musicians. So this is going to be a series where I'm going to be talking to many musicians, YouTubers, doing little chats and finding out what makes them tick as a musician and talk about the projects that they are running. Firstly today we have who somebody who is a good friend of mine in the guitarist state of mine who recently released their first single Buried Alive, Luke McFarlane. Welcome to the show. Hello Josh, thank you very much for having me. So Luke, uh, why don't you give a little introduction, introduction about yourself and who you are? and what you're doing of course man so uh hi anyone who anyone and everyone who's uh, listening my name is luke Uh, i'm a guitarist currently based in guildford Uh, i'm a student studying uh, creative artist guitar at the academy of contemporary music Uh, i'm also the uh, one and only guitarist in the band state of mind Uh, we're a kind of hard rock slightly progressive band Uh, we take a number of influences from a number of different bands and kind of mesh them together in interesting and weird ways to get the songs that we produce um and other than that there's not much about me i'm a producer guitarist bit of a bassist slight bit of a drummer and um yeah there's there's not much more me than that that's awesome man so how are you finding it down at uh, acm at the moment at the moment not very well um with the whole covid thing all students have had their um studies postponed until the 25th of january and with the lockdown a lot of us had the choice to either stay where we are and in my case i couldn't because i didn't have any equipment or run back to our accommodation which is what i've done so uh, i've come back we start our studies in uh, about a week ish i think uh, next week on monday and uh, then we'll be going back to our studies, which I'm very much looking forward to. Obviously, with all online, it's a bit different, but we are making the best out of it. And we've had some really cool opportunities coming our way. And the students have kind of taken our own uh, kind of way in this period where we should have been doing work, but we're not. So I've got some covers um, in the works with a few other ATM students. I think that's the mad thing, especially with the last sort of year or so, the way that the uh, COVID pandemic has affected a lot of people, musicians especially. Uh, Myself, you know, I haven't been able to gig and I'm sure it's been a trouble for you as well in State of Mind. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, The last show State of Mind played was in February. Um, It was just as COVID started to to be uh, kind of known in the UK. It wasn't it wasn't an issue at the time. Uh, we even made a joke about it at our last show um, on the kick drum. Evie put a uh, wash your hands, you dirty pigs. And then a picture of um, the dude from Sex Education. We had him on our kick drum. Uh, <laughs> and we kind of made made a joke about thinking, oh, it'll just go away. But little did we know that a month later, everything would change. And it would be like that for nearly a year. And we're still in the thick of it as a as an industry, as a country, as a world. And it's it's it certainly changed things but i'm sure like we always do we shall pull through it stronger and with different we'll we'll appreciate what we had more because i'm pretty sure there's a song that says you don't realize what you have until it's taken away from you i'm pretty sure every musician feels that way with gigs with recording with just everything in music it's been a challenge for sure 
we're going to see a massive influx, I'm sure, of people bringing out their own solo EPs and solo albums because everybody, musicians especially, has had so much time at home to uh, to write and sort of produce music. So um, we'll start at the, you know, the start of your story then. So um, how did you end up starting to play guitar? What was that first instant was like, yes, that's something I want to do? Well, it's strange because it was, I didn't think of it as anything much at the time. So for some reason, back in, I think it was the late 2015, because uh, I remember I had just moved school um, and I started watching videos by Rob Scallon and Jared Dines. Um, I didn't think anything of it. I just thought, oh, these are cool people doing things with an electric guitar. Never thought more of it, really. I think it's because I'd started listening to more heavier music and YouTube. The algorithm had kind of given me that kind of thing to listen to. But then it all changed when I watched uh, Rob and Lee's Miku video on the Anderton's YouTube channel. Um, <laughs> as well as the fretless ML2 video. Those two, for some reason, stick out to me as, as videos I remember. Um, and I was like, well, what are these two guys? Well, they're playing the electric guitar. That looks pretty cool. And it kind of just gnawed away at me until eventually, uh, for my birthday, I got some money and I bought my first electric guitar, which was an Ibanez uh, Geo Series uh, SA60, I think, which I still have. It's a different color now, but I used to... I used to that was pretty much the only guitar I had for a while. And um, whilst now I'm more endowed with equipment, back then it was all I had. I had a little Rolling Cube amp that I got for Christmas and I started playing and I never stopped, really. There was two sorts of people when they started to play guitar. You either had a Rolling Cube or you had a Line 6 Spider. I was the Line 6 Spider person. I had a Rolling Cube light. It was the, the amp slash speaker um it was it's kind of what the uh the boss katana air is now the kind of hybrid between an amplifier and a, and a sound system my mum bought it for me for christmas and i listened to i i remember how it used to sound and i thought it was the best thing since sliced bread you know there was no <laughs> mid-range it was all gain like all reverb and i used to think that was the best sound in the world until i realized what an actual amplifier sounds like but no <laughs> it's <laughs> I wish I could get it back, to be honest, like just to hear what the sound was for me, because it's I've all, I've had the same equipment for the last three years, like tonally. Um, and I've kind of forgotten what that amp sounded like. But I've listened to old videos of me playing it. And it's just it's interesting because I didn't think that little amp would start what it has for me. Like it changed my career path, kind of. Well, it did, to be fair. I personally find it really cringeworthy when you go through like the Facebook memories or something like that and then you just see a video if you're playing from like 10 years ago and you'd, I just, I personally look at mine just thinking, why the hell did I put that up? Yeah, <laughs> see, so if bad. the playing was better, see, if, the, if in my case, if the playing was better, I'd happily watch them, but I just, I can't watch the videos of me first learning the electric guitar. Like, oh... I remember I used to learn like, uh, old Motionless in White songs, Black Veil Bride songs. I used to think I was like a thrash metal guitarist when I really, really wasn't. <laughs> we've we've all been there. We've all been there. So you just saying mentioning with Rob Scallon, Jared Dines, and obviously Rob Chapman, Lee Anderton. So were those the sort of like you would say the heroes that you started to look up to, or was there something, or was there somebody else? 
well, it's interesting because I was only made aware of the electric guitar when I started listening to that kind of music, which would have been in 2014. But I never had an active interest in playing. Um, I'd always kind of wanted to do music, but I, I used to have piano lessons. I, I used to have a guitar in like 2008 when I was only little. Um, but I never really had an active interest in it until I saw um, uh, it was like Rob, uh, Rob Scallon, Jared Dines doing that kind of thing. And it was when I, I saw Robin Lee and eventually Beer, Pete, do all of that kind of stuff. That I was like, I want to do that. So rather than having a record that I, I sessioned and played over and over again, I, I watch YouTube videos of these guys over and over again doing their thing. Like it's, it's what inspired me to play. So yeah, in a sense, they are my musical heroes. Rabir especially. So you mentioned Rabir. Both me and Luke have, uh, shall we say, a big uh, infatuation um, with Rabir himself. Um, What is about Rabir? Because I'm sure we've both got similar aspects here. But what is it about Rabir that brings you in as a guitarist? You know. Well, it's always changing because I think Rabir as an artist is changing. Um, when I started in 2016, his videos uh, were, were when he was mainly with Rob and Dorje, and I was only made aware of him through seeing what Rob was doing. Um, you know, I used to see them function as a band, and I was like, oh, he's cool. But then I started watching his own videos. He put out the video, um, the Does It Gent uh, Victory VX Kraken video, um, the, the little stoner rock demo he did alongside his... Um, Oh, Hayden amplifier it was that um and I was like oh this guy's actually a really sick musician I'm gonna watch more of his stuff and then he did the oh the Hughes and Kettner stereo stuff and that was when I was like oh okay this guy's serious um and I learned about stereo amplifiers the way he used to run with Dorje and then that's when Tosca blew up and it carried on from there it's awesome man it's awesome say him as a musician i just don't think there's anybody else out there like him at the moment with the, the sort of the riffs and the uh i would say the the engineering production side of things it does it, it's it's genuinely amazing so would you say that when you're producing sounds tones things like that are you looking at rabia for inspiration or do you find something yourself and use it depends that? it depends on what i'm doing but i will normally use him as a as a primary reference so, for example, when I'm looking to go for, for the band, for the sound of for State of Mind, um, I'll normally go for a sound that is inspired by Rabia. So a kind of very mid, mid gain, uh, sorry, mid heavy gain sound, sort of pseudo British, pseudo American, somewhere in between the two um, and slightly darker, not really aggressive in the mids, but still smooth. Um, I'll, I'll go to Rabia first I think okay what kind of sound can I get there and then I'll see how my own equipment works and then I'll tweak it to my personal tastes because at the end of the day as much as I respect Rabia as a musician I don't want to sound like him I want to sound like myself I think it, that's the hardest thing for any musician is because you know you think we've all I guess had our inspirations all vary but they all originated from like sort of one root cause you know with black sabbath and things like that so when you're trying to produce your own tones uh for state of mind why don't you talk us through some of the sounds that you've got in the uh song buried alive which luke will be doing a performance of at the end of this uh podcast 
I'm so glad you asked me that question because I will never, ever want to stop talking about the studio experience. So that record was produced very v incredibly well by a gentleman called Dan Lucas. Um, I was made aware of him from his band, Salvation Jane, who is actually the reason State of Mind exist. Um, we, we were made aware he had a studio and then we heard some of his records. And as a band, we were blown away by the sounds he can achieve. Um, in the description of this uh, podcast, uh, there'll be a, a showreel of Dan's work. Um, so State of Mind will be on there as well as the other stuff he's produced. It's really incredible stuff. Um, and he owns his own studio um, out in the countryside between Ashford and Maidstone called Anchor Baby. And we, we booked there for three days as a uh, Christmas present from our singer. And it was just the most incredible three days. The ki The kit he has there is just mad even if you go on the website just the stuff he has is incredible and the sounds we got were inspiring so back to the question uh the main guitar sound on that record was a oh the year i i know it was a mid 80s it was either an 83 or an 86 jcm 800 by marshall amplification um it was the single i think it was the split channel 2205 it was it might have it was something uh dan actually has a video on that amplifier so i can get the exact specs should they be needed um we used a marshall jcm 800 pushed with a stone def pdf 1x pedal um the marshall itself sounded great but i wanted a, a slightly smoother top end so we just dialed the tone back and used it more of an eq um just to shape the sound of the amp a bit more and we used an octave pedal that was in Cubase. I think it was meant to sound like a whammy or a pog, something like that. Um, and guitar-wise, we used my Chapman Guitars ML1 Norseman, which is modified with a uh, different bridge pickup. And we used my Paul Reed Smith SE Custom 24. Uh, we double-tracked with those guitars. They went left and right for the gain sounds. What did you find was... Um, the biggest, I wouldn't say it's a preconception, but when you're going into a studio, it's a completely different experience to sort of playing at home or playing on stage. Did you have to sort of adapt anything to that situation at all? Well, in all honesty, Dan, Dan and I spoke quite a lot about pre-production uh, in the pre-production stage, so I knew what to expect because it was my first ever studio experience, to be honest. And um, I, I guess just not having the freedom to do what I want all the time which is what I'm very graciously allowed to do in my own space I can I can pick up whatever I like when I like um whereas working in a studio you're working as a band collectively to get something done so I guess that was a change but um Dan as a producer is very much let the musicians be free in what they want to do to get the best performances and to inspire them so it it's it's hard to say if I had to change anything because Dan was just such a gracious host and an incredible producer who knows how to handle musicians. So was there anything about that sort of experience that actually um, surprised you and then you kind of took away from that to, um, I would say, improve your ability or to improve your songwriting or engineering or production, anything like that? I think it was mainly the production because uh, the the song itself isn't a very complex song to play, and you know, I wrote the song about a year before we uh, ended up recording it. But production-wise, just listening to the way Dan approaches the guitar sounds and lets them interact with the drums, the bass, how he builds a record from the ground up, 
is very, very interesting. Um, and it's something I'd never looked at before. So I was very, what's the word, attentive during the mixing process just to understand what he was doing and how to replicate that kind of sound because it sounded huge. And just seeing, excuse me, seeing him work is mad and knowing the sounds he gets is incredible. So just being active in the, in the, uh, the production process really did benefit me as a musician, to be honest. I can absolutely vouch that because when I heard the single when it first came came out, it's got you know that lovely sort of crisp intro, and then all of a sudden that octave just punches you right in the chest, and it just comes out of absolutely nowhere. It's spot on. Well, the clean sound was um, that was a Fender Telecaster uh, with a Seymour Duncan quarter pounder, I think it was a it was either a quarter pounder or some kind of small humbucker um in the bridge of this japanese telecaster ran into a wem amp which i'd never heard of before i've seen them say, I've in old heard studios yeah I'd, I'd never heard of them but we tried i think four or five different amps to try and find the clean sound but none of them were right because i've got a very sp- it wasn't a clean it was more of a crunch but i didn't want it uh fuzzy in the bottom end i didn't want it really harsh i wanted a a clean bottom end with a nice grunt in the mids um essentially how i approach my my rhythm tone just with less gain and it worked we we tried the sound city we tried a laney we tried the uh we were gonna try the titan but the titan blew up or the power supply blew up um (laughs) we tried the cornford which is actually the prototype of the rk1 which is an incredible sounding amp and then Dan, I think Dan was just like, come on, man, you've got to choose one of them. I was like, I don't know. I'm just not happy. And then Dan said, right, give me two seconds. He went to the back room, grabbed this amp out of nowhere, used the line out, out into the cabinet we were using in the live room. And on the first strum, I was like, this is the sound. This is literally my live clean sound. It was incredible. It's weird. I've never heard this amp before in my life. And it's literally how I dial in my amp for my clean sounds live. It was weird but it worked and it sounded great. Do you feel like when you're going into, say, like into the studio or whether it's um, approaching, you know, writing a song and things like that, do you have this preconceived notion then that like you have everything laid out in your head of how you want it to sound or do you find that it's just something will just go, oh, yes, that, that works? Well, with this record, it was it was very much we were finding the sound of the band, so we were very much open to experimentation. Um, we did have some ground to go off of, so our drummer Evie discussed the kind of drum sound they wanted. We've got bands such as Paris um, and Tonight Alive. Those kind of bands are really what the kind of drum sound was after. Um, and then with guitars, obviously I'd expressed my options and what i thought we should sound like and what would work because it's it's not uh, what i wanted it's what dan felt was right and what dan felt would benefit us and he checked with us in every stage and once we were all like okay yeah that's correct we went ahead and tracked it because at the end of the day we as musicians and we as the band can want what we like but as someone who's producing our record it was very much his option to say look i don't think this is the right choice i think you should you know, consider something else. But he, fortunately, he never had to because we were always working together in what we wanted. Um, 
and regarding experimentation there's a bunch of little stuff on that record that i didn't think we would do but we did so we had amy in a booth screaming into a microphone uh for all this weird stuff we had some spoken word poetry we had a satan guitar channel which i think still is the best thing we have on that record um all of these things i didn't know would end up there but they did and had we not had the studio we wouldn't have been inspired to experiment with them if that makes sense at all i think that's it i think when you go into a studio sort of environment especially like when i was watching the uh, the task of fire by the silos documentary which if nobody's seen it i highly suggest oh i watched that out. the night before we went in i watched that the <laughs> night before we went in and it's amazing when you see the production of like oh you know i didn't think that would go in there or i didn't think that would go in there it, it, it really does make a difference like say when rabbi used the leslie cube in uh like when genghis wakes you know it's something that when you listen to a song you don't hear it but then when you take it out of isolation you, you realize it's not there and imagine that's been the same with buried alive yeah um we had some uh so in the breakdown or in the so when the when the song changes time from four four to six eight um, we, we pulled the bass out because when we play it live, Sam normally stops playing and I'm the one that carries on the arpeggiated section. Um, but we wanted something to fill that space. Um, and Dan said, OK, well, we'll try this. So he grabbed an old Laney Supergroup amp. Um, I think it was a 60s or 70s one. Uh, we put uh, the PDF-1X in front of it with a an old fuzz pedal of some form. Um, with the octave pedal and i i think i've got the video somewhere i was shaking a 90s les paul in front of the studio monitor to get the guitar to kind of scream at me um and in the in the build-up section and then in the in the drop it's just this really thick raunchy fuzzy belly to the guitar sound um which you'll hear in the end of the song as well um it just it added this layer of depth that we didn't think is there um it talking back to where we kind of wanted that from uh when uh in the abba mason mix breakdown um with the synth and the octave layers they did in the breakdown so whether where beer just put a plain octave on a low gain sound on his baritone he did the same thing there and that was something we wanted to do except we didn't want a clean uh kind of basis we wanted this aggressive crazy feedback layer underneath the track so it was the same approach but different outcome so obviously like listening to the way that you approach uh music and production obviously um effects such as octaves we're hearing fuzz um those are uh, a key aspect of the way that you write and produce um, so is the one effect that you feel like that you genuinely could not live without? Uh, reverb. Delay and reverb. Wet effect, without a doubt. Um, like, I can have, like, the world's most aggressive fuzz sound or the world's meatiest octave, but I feel that without delay and reverb, I I couldn't couldn't really play. I don't play with it a lot, but on there are certain sounds I use that have a very dark very moody ambience to them and i feel that those to me are more important than my heavy sounds because a heavy sound is a heavy sound but a clean sound to me is more specific like when you hear it you're hearing more of the guitar rather than just an amp screaming at you and i feel that delay and reverb is very much a key character to my kind of sound uh, much as it is to Rabia's. so yeah i think delay and reverb most definitely are the the effects i couldn't live without 
I personally never used to when I I guess like it's only been in the last sort of like six or seven years that I've embraced it. But I remember before I never used delay and reverb. And then when I stopped personally for me when I started to use it, I was like, Oh well, that sounds way better. Like where has this been my entire life? <laughs> you know? <laughs> See, when I um so I as I mentioned previously I had my Roland Cube amp, which was great. But um it was I think it was 2000 and I want to say 2017 or 2016 um, I wanted a new amp and I bought the Boss Katana which I still use to this day um, because it had all the effects in it and I wanted to experiment and I, I used to try all the delay and reverb and stuff like on the amp panel and I was like okay this sounds good but I want to go further and then I got the uh, the software for the computer and that completely changed everything um, you know, being able to fine tweak the, the wet sounds I use are just it's so helpful because you can get completely different sounds depending on the way your settings are, you know. So if I, I wanted a more, I don't know, classic slapback sound, it would be a very bright delay set really quietly. Or if I wanted a really warm, mellow sound, I would dial the tone out, increase the feedback, increase the level and play to accommodate the effect. So it's it's crazy how much effects can influence your playing, even if you don't realise it sometimes. Yeah, it's it's like um, the way I always talk about using effects. Because people have looked at me and going, "No, oh, why do you need such a big, you know, pedal board or whatever?" And it's just like, well, you think of making, uh, like, you know, you're making a curry. All these different pedals or different spices that just make that overall finished product a lot better. Mm. See, I, I'm very much the same. I have a, a very large pedal board with a lot of things on it, but I don't use all of them at the same time. So I've got my foot switch at the bottom, which controls my kind of home bases, which are all of my main sounds. And then on those, I have effects in the katana. And then I've also got the pedal board, the pedals on my pedal board, which I can then add to get different flavors. So if I want a really massively spacey, weird sound, I'll use my Joyo Atmosphere and my Boss RE20. Um, if I want a crazy lead sound, I'll use my Freakout. If I want a bit crushed, broken mess, I'll use my Coopersonic Germaniac. You know, just it's different stuff like that. It's it's not necessarily all part of my sound, but if I if I want those kind of textures and flavors, I feel like those are the pedals I would use to achieve it. Do you have anything that's always on? Honestly, no. Um, with my clean sounds, I've always got a bit of delay and reverb, but that's coming from the amplifier. Um, it's mainly a dark modulated. Uh, delay uh, with a dark modulated reverb so it's got this body but it's not taking away from the attack of the guitar and with my rhythm sounds I've always got a boost on but again that's in the amplifier just to tighten things up that's awesome man that's awesome so we'll talk about sort of everybody else the knows about skill levels of being guitarists everybody's always at um, a different sort of skill level is there would you say anything that you have found um, extremely challenging in terms of techniques or in general playing in all honesty i think my ear um whilst i can i can pick up parts quite easily and understand the nuances in them i without my comfort zone in like my equipment i really struggle um, so everything has to be perfect before I can even approach doing anything musically, uh, whether it be writing, whether it be learning something. Um, I guess just I've always been used to being in my, my little spot with my guitar and my amp set perfectly and a nice volume with a cup of tea and, and all of that. When I'm out of that, I, I really struggle as a musician. So I, I guess just working around 
my comfort zone, not just necessarily tonally, but also physically and mentally. Um, that's something I, I need to work on, but I have been doing that recently. So especially so what would you say? So what would you say is your biggest strength then? Honestly, my again, my, my ear for sound. Um, I, me and a friend, because uh, I, I currently in a uni accommodation, we were all discussing this last night. Um, we all we all compare ourselves to each other when we were all talking about our merits and in my opinion my my best asset is my my ear for things so not necessarily my playing but getting sounds getting really inspiring sounds or you know knowing pedals for someone or knowing my gear because I'm a massive gear freak um, and certain production techniques when it comes to the sound of things that's normally where I come in I'm very fortunate to have that but again I wouldn't say um, I'd be where I am if it wasn't for Dan because Dan helped a lot in that aspect so that's awesome I think probably as well that benefits you as well going into a studio like, like I guess we touched upon it saying you know you've got that preconceived ear for the sound you want you know you you'll just know that when you've got that right sound and when you've got that sort of uh, I, I would say finished article to what you want to do yeah i mean having just the ability to walk into a studio that's got thousands and thousands of pounds worth of equipment and just have at it for three days it's it's a really gratifying experience but also having someone as knowledgeable as dan as a studio engineer and as a friend just i'm always forever asking him questions how we got this sound how we got that sound what would i do to do this what would i need to do that and it just i'm very lucky to have to be in the position i am because it's so beneficial having someone as talented as that as as close to me personally so basically get yourself in with some really good talented people and you'll be fine in the music industry <laughs> which is also funny enough the hardest thing to do is to be, you know to sort of be in that situation uh, so we'll really back into um state of mind so how is it that you guys sort of like um all came about well it's interesting because we all met each other at different instances in time. So me and Amy, our singer, we met years and years back, probably in like 2016, at an airsofting match because um, we met through some mutual friends and we shot at each other for a day and it was fun. Um, Evie and Amy met because they're ex-partners. Uh, they met in a, in a local game, like, uh, like a computer place, like gaming place, essentially. Um, and then we met our bassist Sam in college because uh, I used to do A levels. But then when I decided I wanted to be a, a musician, I went to college and we met Sam there. And we all just kind of knew of each other and we were like, okay, this is cool. Um, but we never really actively wanted to pursue music until we went to a gig one night. Um, it was in a in a local venue in Margate, which is where I'm from. Um, and it was uh, Milk Teeth were headlining and I never really heard of them I didn't really know what their music was but at the end of the day I thought well it's a night out with mates so I'll go along with Evie and Amy because they like them um, and then so the support band was Salvation Jane which is Dan's band and we heard them and we were like Jesus Christ we need to do something like that it's, it's weird hearing a band that have all the influences that you like and just sound like themselves it's incredible um, and we put the band together that night over a pizza and a bottle of amaretto and some vodka. <laughs> um, and then a couple of weeks later, a friend of ours called Warren, uh, he used to run these uh, kind of multi-genre gigs in uh, local pubs in our area. Um, and we 
it was our first ever show. He said, do you guys want to do something? And we said, yeah, we rehearsed once, played a, a few covers. Salvation Jane made it into that set list. We did a cover of Cortez. Um, and it went from there. Sam wasn't even meant to be in the band. Sam was just a depth because we couldn't find a bass player. And then he never left. We never said bye. He just he just kind of stayed. And it was the best decision we made. Because as a four-piece, we're, we're really tight-knit, I think. And we've had our issues, but musically we're all tight we're all locked in and we sound the way we do because of all of us individually so it's very beneficial to have that those kind of people so i've heard you mentioning salvation obviously salvation jane a lot when we talk about tosca and rabia are there any other bands that you like to pull uh, ideas from to amalgamate into state of mind i think we all have our as as a four piece we all have bands that we all take influence from so royal blood is a big one uh we went to see royal blood uh back in 2019 we we saw them um in our town in the winter gardens we love them as a band and seeing them live is incredible um we like the band's paris uh tonight alive uh we take some influences from paramore um a lot of people comment on our singer's vocals saying that she does sound a bit like hayley williams which we do we do know um but the thing is we don't have us four we don't have a band that we're like oh we want to do that um fortunately all four of us are similar enough to work together but different enough to not all want to do the same thing so we we all have this kind of unique approach to the sound of the band which is why we sound like us we don't sound like royal blood we don't sound like salvation jane we don't sound like tonight alive we sound like state of mind and that's down to a balance between individuality and inspiration between the four of us. That's cool, man. That's cool. So you, we definitely get in a very sort of, um, you know, sort of the metal and progressive feel uh, from you as a guitarist and as a musician. So where does sort of Brian May and Queen into this i'm very glad you asked me that question because as much as i am a, a metal guy i love queen i love old stuff like that um i think it's more nostalgia and i'm more of just a general fan of the music rather than it inspiring me personally so i've i've kind of subconsciously known of queen all my life because my mum's a big fan of them and as i've grown up i've heard their music and you know i didn't really know of queen actively until my mum took me to a um a, a tribute band of theirs uh up at the winter gardens which is a venue oddly enough where we also saw royal blood um and i saw them live and i was like okay this music is fantastic and i'd started playing the guitar at that point and i was like i, I really do need to to learn some of this music so i got home i searched brian may guitar and then learned of the Red Special, and then the kind of obsession with it in kind of 2016, 2017 kind of grew from there. I always wanted a, a Red Special, and very fortunately in 2018, I got one as my 18th birthday present, uh, which I still have. It's it's with me here at university. It's a bit worse for wear. I need to get the strings changed, but it's still here. And I don't think Queen's music and the sound of Brian May's guitar influence my output as a musician but they certainly do keep me playing if that makes sense so it's not something i want to do but I, if i listen to it i will want to play is it that sort of thing where you'll be heavily listening to say tosca or carnival or you know things like that and then you'll hear say you know like personally for me i'm a big queen fan as well i mean i love killer uh, killer queen 
I think that's an absolutely outstanding troop which probably doesn't get a enough uh, sort of uh, recognition so is it like when you listen to queen you you'll just kind of go oh i've so missed that sound or that feel we very much had this yesterday so um me Bryn, and yayan uh, all of us are we're guitarists multi-instrumentalists and uh, on the way back to guildford uh, yayan drove me back and uh, we put on save me which i'd never really listened to before and the first note of that solo if, if anyone's listened to this, go listen to the first note of the solo in Save Me with headphones on or on speakers up loud. It is the most incredible experience just hearing that one note because Brian's sound is so unique and it's it's all the harmonics. It's everything. It's just, oh, I can't compliment the sound enough. And it's like oh, it's almost otherworldly just hearing that. And all of us, we had Bryn's amp and we were trying to play it and it was just... I don't think Queen are... They don't inspire the sound of me as a musician, but they do glue a lot of us together. Queen are, the, Queen are a band that we a lot of musicians can talk about and say, oh, I love this song, oh, I love that, or oh, what era of Brian's sound were you more into, and have you seen them live, like, stuff like that. They're, they're more of a foundational glue rather than a, than a creative outlet for some people. I genuinely challenge to find anybody out there that's um, a guitarist or a musician that doesn't have some affinity for Queen. I think it's just one of those bands that just everybody likes in some form. See, especially with the Bohemian Rhapsody movie that came out, that's really oh, kicked some people off, especially with the music thing. Oh, definitely. Definitely, I think when people come across that, they were they were just like, "Wow!" I think especially a lot of kid, you know, I would say a lot of kids and teenagers these days probably don't actually really know too much of of Queen, and hopefully, no, I totally you know, agree. and hopefully, you know, just that movie will inspire people to sort of, you know, obviously look down uh, those avenues. So we say with like. Um, guitar solos because personally for me i've always found that brian may is extremely extremely underrated when it comes to doing guitar solos and is there one guitar solo of his that you can say that you just listen to and it's that sort of just euphoric feel that you get from it it depends on the mood but if if i'm just if i'm if i'm just going to queen and i hit shuffle the the, the 1975 record, uh, the uh, A Night at the Opera, anything off that record, Bohemian Rhapsody, um, Death on Two Legs, just all of that kind of stuff. It's just, it's so inspiring to me and hearing that sound is, there's nothing quite like it in the music industry, especially with Queen. So yeah, I'd say any guitar sound off of 19, uh, the 1975 record, A Night at the Opera. There's not many people that can um, play a guitar with, uh, was it a sixpence and uh, about 50 Vox amps screaming at you? Oh, I mean, I, I, I've i got my sixpences because obviously I with my Red Special, I don't quite have the gear to get the sound. I don't have an AC30, I don't have a treble booster, and I'm not Brian, so I can't sound like him. But I do have the, the bits to kind of get me in that vibe. They They don't inspire the sound as much as the way I play, if that makes sense. So I play more like Brian when I've got the red special, the sixpence, the strap. I always do the the leg kick when I hit high notes like he does, kind of subconsciously. <laughs> but I've, it helps the way I play rather than the sound. And I think that's a big part of it. If you're not feeling the music you're playing, then you're just not going to sound right. 
And I think that applies to everything in music. If you're not feeling what you're playing, you're just not going to sound as good as you think you do. So, I'm, My personal pet peeve as a guitarist is when you see people playing and they just have zero emotion or like if they're playing guitar on stage they just stand perfectly still they're just looking at what they're doing blah 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 doing a guitar solo and there's just absolutely no feeling of emotion like i don't care if you mess up a note or if you mess up a bend or anything like that if you're showing some emotion i would much rather prefer that yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I've, I've got some feel faces when I play with the band live. It's always, it's always this one note in Buried Alive in the breakdown where we hit that that major seven in the harmonic minor scale, and I always pull this stupid face where I kind of pull my my jaw into my shoulder, and I, I don't know why, but it's every time on that specific note in the song, I always pull it. And then there are just other bits when I'm like playing lead, and I'll pull some stupid faces. Even the video I did today um, with Beer's solo. I pulled some stupid fucking faces in that one, but it's because it's the way I express myself when I'm playing music. Music is as much as an expression as me as, is what my body's doing whilst I'm playing. And there's not really anything you can control to be honest. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, we always see memes about what guitar players faces look like when they're doing a bend or, you know, like Steve in a blue, Vi, in a blue. John Mayer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly, man. I like the fact that you brought up um, John, Mayer, John Mayer because he is—he definitely seems to be a person that is very split and has a very divided opinion. People either really like him or people really hate him. Mean, where do you sit um, with John Mayer? Honestly, I'm going to go against what you said. I, I am perfectly in the middle. I don't love his stuff. I don't hate his stuff. I respect him as a musician and I think he's got an incredible voice and an incredible sound. But I just don't really listen to him that much. And I think it's fair to say with that for a lot of artists. I think there's a lot of artists, a lot of artists out there where, you know, they're always going to be subject to divide opinion. Like personally for me, somebody that like, when people speak to me, they're going to know what music do you like? And I'll say, you know, Ramstein, Metallica, Tosca, blah, blah, blah. And then they're always uh, come to me and look at me really weird when I say Lady Gaga. But I think as a musician and as an artist, she's just incredible. Yeah, I, I respect, I, I, I love her music. I mean, I don't actively listen to her. I think she sits in the same category for me as an artist like Pink. Um, although Pink changed in 2019 because I, I didn't really know who she was. My, my mum liked her and I, I've heard some of her songs. I think everyone has heard So What. Um, and I saw her live and it was just a, I know you've seen Lady Gaga live as well, I think. Yes, I have. Yes seeing those artists live they're not like it's not music you listen it's like you play or you actively try to 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 copy but seeing it live is a really different experience isn't it oh definitely um i've been i've i've seen bands live that have genuinely underwhelmed me and then i've seen artists and bands live where they've been better than i expected them to be See, I had the same with Pink because I'd never seen her live shows. I, I didn't know what to expect, but then I got what I got and it was just an incredible experience. Like she, I don't think there are many artists that fly around the arena whilst still belting out a tune. It's <laughs> incredible. It's an incredible, incredible experience. And I think so, pop artists have that ability because they're making you know quite a lot of money from what they do. It's called pop music because it's popular. 
um, and they have that ability to, to create those live shows. And there are some bands in, in our scene that do it, like Rammstein and Ghost, uh, are f- from what I've seen, that really do focus on their live shows. Um, but some people think it's more about the music. So, you know, it depends. Yeah, it also, I think it also depends on what sort of, say, audience that you're, you're putting that, you know, it's it's essentially a product, isn't it? You know, you're pushing a product, and it's whether that audience is, um, I would say, in the right group for that certain uh, product, like you say. Yeah. So you wouldn't approach. So you wouldn't get Ramstein's stage designer on a pop show, and you wouldn't get a pop show's designer for a for a ghost gig. It, it's very much contextually appropriate to have everyone in their own areas. Because Ramstein focus heavily on pyrotechnics and you know what fits the vibe of the song very heavy, very industrial. Um, whereas with with Pink and Lady Gaga and other live artists um, that, that are in that kind of area, they focus very much on the light shows and the smoke and the CO two. Um, so it all depends really. But I think the the attitude toward their live shows is exactly the same between the bands. They just have different ways of expressing it. Oh, definitely, definitely. So, in terms of like concerts, live shows, are there any bands like you have on a bucket list that you want to experience? Uh, you know, before, you know, we can't do obviously with COVID at the moment. That's you know taking one thing out, but you know they you know live gigs will come back soon. And who's going to be on your list? I think I've got a top top five. So number one, obviously Tosca. I've got them tattooed on my arm. I love them. I listen to them every day. Number two, oddly, Billie Eilish. I love her okay. music. I really do like her music. And the production, especially, is incredible for me. Um, and seeing what she did at Reading in 2019, the way she controlled that crowd was incredible. Number three, Queen and Adam Lambert. Every musician should go and see Queen at some point. It's just my opinion. But there we go. Uh, I agree. Number, f- number four, honestly, probably maybe Dordier or Clockwork. Just because Rob... Uh, and that kind of thing is what started me playing the guitar and it's 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 kind of memories for me even though it's only five years ago like it wasn't that long but to me it's like the the birth of my playing so it's it's it would be nice to go and see rob and all that live and i consider rob a friend now so yeah it'd be kind of weird but you know it'd be cool to see them and number five i think oh it's hard to say Give us a curveball. Let me. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna open my phone. I'm gonna shuffle Spotify and the. F- oh uh, no, Ginger. There we go. Number five, Ginger. Good shout. Absolutely, Ginger. I've just forgotten. Ginger, an incredible live band. I think they're one of the bands at the moment that have just absolutely massively blown onto the scene, and I think that I think as a band, they are all incredible in their own rights they're just absolutely outstanding absolutely i mean as someone who hasn't really been exposed to ginger that long um i only heard them when i saw the um the uh the live session on rubia's uh, on rubia's channel when he reacted to uh, their live session of pisces and i like a lot of people who've never heard of ginger before watched that but even like oh this is a oh my god her vocals that's the transition, and from there, <laughs> I, I love their music, and I massively respect what she does. Um, she's just such an incredible singer, and the band itself sound incredible. Like the bass playing is amazing, the guitar playing is amazing, the drumming is spot on. 
and as a and it's not often you see four pieces a lot of metal bands are fives but it's mm. odd a lot of the bands i like have been four or even three pieces so oh definitely yeah gingers uh on my list i mean i was meant to go and see them when they uh toured not last year the year before and um i literally just missed out on a ticket unfortunately but that that's that's the way it goes that's the way it goes so we're kind of approaching uh the hour mark with this uh, podcast so we'll get we've got a few more interesting ideas lined up and this is going to be a segment where everyone that i speak to i'm going to be asking them this question because as a musician as a guitarist as a drummer as a bassist you all have these dreams of a, you know things that you could own so you're on a desert island you've got one pedal you've got one amp and you've got one guitar what are you taking one with you? of each okay one of each is interesting because i'd have gone one amp three i would have gone one amp one guitar three pedals but okay i've got to think practically um the guitar would be i think honestly b as ml3 because i've seen what he does with it and i've seen what i what i want to do with it and i've got chapman guitars already and the kind of stuff i produce i think that would be the guitar uh, the pro series one though because if money isn't an object i want i want the bling um amplifier wise 800 no doubt a Marshall JCM 800 because I I love the sound of them, um or even to build on that it would be the um, Marshall 35th anniversary amplifier, which um Dan did a video on. It's every kind of Marshall amp in a box and it's incredible sounding. So let's say yeah the Marshall 35th anniversary is the amp and a pedal Strymon Big Sky for the reverb. That's a good shout. It's an absolutely a good shout that. That would be, be one my, hell of a one rig. Of each rig. Yeah, because I've heard the 35th anniversary with what Dan showed me, and it's incredible. The guitar, obviously, we know what it can do. We know how versatile it is. And the Strymon Big Sky is the one of everything of, of wet sounds. And it's it, pretty sure it's got some delay machines in there, too. So, yeah, that would be my that would be my rig of doom. Interesting, because I hadn't thought of that. What's on your Spotify playlist at the moment? What are you listening to? Honestly, what I can remember, because I used to use Apple Music, but then I remembered I had Spotify for free for six months. So I'm just tr in the middle of migrating my library. So I'll just open up my Spotify now. I'm pretty sure it's it's mainly Tosca, Periphery, Rabia, and then a bit of other things. But there we go. Uh, Queen has come up immediately. So uh, Driver's License by Olivia Rodrigo is actually a song I've been listening to recently, which is an incredible, incredible song. It's not a rock, it's it's not a rock track, it's not a metal track, but it's incredible. I would say anyone who wants to listen to just a good song, go and listen to that. It's amazing. Other than that, it's Rabia, Royal Blood, Monkey Lord, Tosca, um, Salvation Jane, uh, Frog Leap, black peaks just that kind of stuff really all that it's a bit of a mix but mainly progressive rock and metal some outstanding bands there i must say absolutely black so, peaks are incredible oh i love black peaks i absolutely love black peaks when i um listen to drones when that bass just put that really massive punchy bass just kicks in i absolutely love that the the drums at the start of king uh, home just has filthy octave riffs, man. Oh, they're, they're an outstanding band. See, I had the same approach when I listened to Carnival for the first time. Listening to the bass tone at the beginning of Goliath is 
an otherworldly experience and that's why i've been so focused on playing bass recently because i've recently acquired a squire five string jazz and an electro harmonics battalion and some stuff in two notes and i've been trying to get that sound unfortunately because i know the kind of stuff john stockman uses has been very easy for me and it's so inspiring just the 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 vast width of sound he can get he i think he approaches his equipment very similarly to how rabir approaches guitar he doesn't want to just be uh, a shredder he wants to serve the songs with sounds and he does that incredibly i think does john like the intro to set fire to the hive some of this all of the sounds off of um carnival sound awake album bass wise are incredible so absolutely absolutely it's one it's uh I think it's an album that definitely doesn't get enough credit for sure. So, um, what's your plans for 2021? Have you got any goals? Have you got any ambitions? Are you setting yourself any targets? What's what are you doing for that? Well, I want to play live at least once with at least a ba- with at least one band, albeit state of mind, albeit some uni uh, things we've got going on. I just want to gig. I think every musician just wants to gig at this point. Um, I want to get another record out or maybe two we've got another record in the works uh state of mind we've got that coming out relatively soon um but we'd like to get you know maybe another one at least recorded um and maybe some more material written and i think just overall get my standard of playing across all of my different areas up so i'm a very good guitar player but i'm not a very good bassist and i'm really not a very good producer i would like all of those to be adequate um which I think is definitely the goal for 2021 because I want to diversify what I do as a musician. Man, that's, that's a really good target. I think a lot of people can uh, take something from that and just make themselves into a uh, into a more well-rounded musician. On uh, I think probably everybody in lockdown. Well, how the so industry far. works now. That's what we're learning at ACM. You can't oh, definitely. just be good at your instrument anymore. You need to, you need to have multiple tools in your belt to make it because that's what the standard is nowadays you know you can't just show up to a record label with a couple of demos on a cd you need to have a fully polished album and you all need to be on your game to even get considered and just knowing all of that or even as a solo artist you're you know you've got the same standards so you really do need to be on it in terms of you know your own musician because you can't rely on other people's money you can't rely on other people if you've got music that needs to be made you make it yourself so oh absolutely Just having all of that you know readily available is very important i think um so we'll have, i've got two more questions for you um okay. so uh the first one being uh what's been your best moment in performing with state of mind and also what's been like sort of the worst moment where nothing would just go your way or something went wrong you know that sort of thing Okay, well, I'm automatically going to say best moment was recording Buried Alive and hearing the master for the first time. So it was uh, recorded, uh, produced and mixed by Dan Lucas, Anchor Baby, and then it was mastered by a gentleman called Charlie Francis from Horizon Mastering. And hearing that back was incredible. It's like, it's it's your baby. It's it's Sorry to interrupt, but Horizon Mastering, didn't he do the first Rabia Grinding Gears from what I remember? I think. I can't remember. No, no, I, kn- I know who you're thinking. No, um, it's a... Maybe it's not Horizon Mastering. No, it's not Horizon, sorry. I've got the name wrong, but Charlie France... Synergy Mastering, sorry. Um, Synergy Mastering did our record. A guy called Charlie Francis. My mistake. 
Um, I wish it was wish it was Horizon. Um, <laughs> yeah, hearing hearing that record back, hearing all the nuances that we put into it, just it's incredible. Um, bad wise, I think every musician in 2020 and subsequently 2021 feels exactly the same. No one can do anything. We're Absolutely. all locked up. We're all, like we're all locked up with our guitars, our amps, and our pedals, and we're being forced to to do what we have to do. And we're being forced to make an income when we're you know, we've lost our main income stream. Fortunately, there are some people, mainly very high in the industry, who can live off of, you know, what they've made and what they can do and the ability they have because of where they are in the musical hierarchy and the musical food chain. But there are a lot of people, especially students, who just don't know what to do. We're having to sideline everything and just hope that the world gets back to normal. And Absolutely. Gigging is, is something I didn't realise I missed as much as I did until covid I kind of just took gigging as a oh we've got a show oh that's cool but now it's gone I'm just like I the only thing I want to do is just get on stage with a loud amplifier and play some octave goodness that's all I want to do now I think a lot of people have uh, sort of like taken for granted the whole uh, aspect of playing gigs and things like that I think it's uh, I think everybody collectively misses it and hopefully I'm going to go uh, to every show in Guildford once 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 gigs open back up I will go to every <laughs> show We'll see a uh, Snoop Dogg in Guildford then next year. That's that's on the cards. Well, I've definitely got Download on the cards. I've definitely got Reading on the cards. Um, I've got the stuff with ACM, and there's a bunch of local talent uh, from ACM that I really want to see live. Um, there's a guy called uh, his uh, Martin. Uh, so his uh, performance name is Crumity, I think. Um, and he is very much into the the Pliny ish kind of prog stuff. He's got an ML three B guitar, and some of, hearing some of his stuff has been great. And I'd love to see how he interprets that in a live context. Whether he plays the backing tracks, plays with a band, how that'll influence the sound of what he's put on records. And I think it's just more curiosity at this point. But I miss shows, and I think everyone else does. So, absolutely. So, final question is: Where can people find out more out about you and State of Mind? Okay, well, for me specifically, it'll be my Facebook and my Instagram. So Facebook, I am Luke McFarlane. Instagram, I am McFarlane underscore zero two zero. Um, and the bandwise, uh, we're the same Facebook, Instagram. Uh, so Facebook, we're State of Mind UK. Uh, Instagram is the same. You'll find the links on Facebook. And we're also on Spotify, Apple Music, any streaming service. Just search State of Mind UK, Buried Alive, and our song will be there. That'll also be where you'll hear about all of our releases um, and just cool things we have planned. Um, I've also got a YouTube channel. I just do some covers every now and then. Uh, that's also on YouTube, Luke McFarlane. So just basically look for a chat my guitar and you'll find me. That's fantastic, Luke. Thank you very much for being here. So you are going to be doing a performance now of Buried Alive for us all. That which is, is correct. Going to be absolutely fantastic. So we all look forward to seeing that. So thank you, everybody, for tuning in to this first episode of the Josh Castle podcast. Luke has been an absolutely fantastic guest to have on here. Thank you very much for being it's with us. It's been a pleasure, Josh. Thank you. So make sure you go and like some subscribe and share and check out some of Luke and State of Mind's post. If you liked this podcast, please just go ahead and drop it a like and put a comment in there, see what you think and see what you thought of these. Uh, and I'm sure Luke will answer any questions that comes up at the bottom of this video. More than happy to, yeah. Any questions, problems, queries, bring them up and I will speak in as much detail as I can because it's one thing I like doing.
Wonderful. Thank you very much, Luke. And until the next time, we shall see you all again very soon. Thank you very much. Hey.